Welcome to the Abstract Veterans Podcast. Today, Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger speak with Hannah Neeskins. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Athlete for more information and news. The Abstract Veterans Podcast with Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back uh, to our 10th episode, actually, season two of the Abstract Veteran Series. I'm Dr. Char Gatlin with my co-host, uh, retired Colonel Kevin Sickinger, Lieutenant Colonel retired Kevin Sickinger. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing great. How about you? You don't seem very excited today, Kevin. You just, you I'm just. very excited. <laughs> I, got, I got woken up at uh, like 6.20 in the morning. For some reason, my neighbor's uh, gravel driveway installer guy thought 6 20 in the morning would be a good time to start firing up the tractor <laughs> well you know that's what happens when you sleep in kevin you know what i'm saying <laughs> that's true <laughs> you gotta get a good time so and folks uh, today we have another very special guest um miss hannah neeskins and just for transparency purposes up front um my wife and i know hannah she's out here from montana albeit the other kind of the state but we've been around her for various tbi related uh I don't know, meetings and, and things of such, but we wanted to bring her home, as she, bring her own rather, as she is a caregiver for her husband, Kelly. Great guy. I get to see him every now and then when I'm lucky to be over there as well. So welcome, Hannah, to the show. Thank you for making time for, for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. So Hannah is a jack of all trades here, folks, and I'm just going to highlight some of this bio real quick, and then uh, I'll let her kind of get into the specifics, but she holds a JD from Purdue in uh, a Master's of Education from UNLV. Uh, married to her husband, obviously, Kelly. Uh, she's a caregiver for an Army, wounded Army veteran, and has been an educator for over 23 years as a teacher, principal, and school district superintendent. I, how you find the time, I really I really don't know here, not to mention being, as I said earlier, a caregiver for, for her husband. So I'll let her do a little more of the talking on that, but Hannah, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, as you stated, um, I... I have a number of different hats in my life. Um, wife to my hus- husband, who is a um, injured, I guess he's a veteran now, but he was he was injured in Iraq uh, in 2005. Uh, multiple injuries, including um, gunshot wounds, as well as um, obviously head trauma that that resulted in a TBI. Interestingly enough, we we did not know about the TBI. Um, until 2016, or the extent of the TBI until 2016. Um, so uh, we went for approximately 11 years, believing that all of his symptoms were PTSD related. That was what we had been kind of pointed at by every every single doctor that we saw. Um, and I can speak to that more later. Um, and I'm, I'm also the mother of, of three kids. Um, and I think there's an interesting um, there's kind of, I'd like to speak at some point today to the effects kind of, uh, that this has on the entire family, not just myself as the caregiver, but, um, by virtue of kind of just being part of the family unit, kids also become caregivers of a sort, um, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, and then I, I also have managed to maintain my career through all of this, which was very, very challenging. Um, there was points in my career where I had to um, 
quit my job, switch jobs, make career decisions that were solely because of my role as a caregiver. So I do think uh, those are all those are all things that have happened to you kind of in an instant when you become a caregiver and when someone um, in your family unit becomes disabled due to a serious traumatic brain injury. Um, I have I just immediately thought of like a hundred questions. The first of which uh, I'm sure you really appreciated Miley Cyrus being the Hannah Montana. Right. Um, I've never heard that before. Yeah, I didn't think so. You know, it's kind of like every 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 woman named Karen nowadays greatly appreciates right? that moniker. We also uh, lack originality on the show. <laughs> I'm the comedy relief portion of it. Um, but the, the question I had, and, and you brought it up, um, I think, obviously, the TBI portion of a catastrophic event is the one that never gets treated. I mean, they, they, you check breathing, you check for blood, you check for for that, and and they're so concerned, rightfully so, portion, you know, partially, at, at treating all of the other injuries that most of the time the TBI injury gets totally overlooked. So uh, I think you wanted to talk about that one slightly, so might as well tee that up right away. Right. So just to kind of, you have, I have to kind of revisit what happened in order, you know, all the way back to 2005 in order to fully explain this. But um, in 2005, um, my husband was deployed to Iraq. He he was in several uh, blast situations, five, but one of them was significant. And that, that actually occurred at the same time he was shot. And so um, there was, there they were hit by an IED. It created like a 13 foot deep crater. The Humvee was disabled inside the crater, knocked them all out. Um, at some point he got out of the Humvee and, and was shot. Um, of course they disabled, you know, they, they immediately evacuate you for that injury um, to address the most immediate injury. Um, and that's really all that got addressed in the field. Fast forwarding to when he uh, left the military and was doing all the evaluations for his disabilities and his ratings and so on and so forth, um, everything then became very focused on, um, I guess, what I call an education. Um, I, it's not the it's not the term that is used by doctors, but in the education field, we refer to them as executive functioning skills. So these are things like your adaptive thinking, planning, um, self-monitoring, self-control, time management, working memory, organization, task initiation, focus, all of these type of um, skills. And all of the neuropsych testing kind of focuses on that. And that's very similar to the process we go through in education to identify special needs students or individual education plans. So I was very familiar with all of these in a different context. And I could, I, uh, as someone that had, you know, obviously known my husband pre-injury and post-injury, could identify all these deficits. It was harder for him to self-identify the deficits. Uh, he didn't really realize a lot of what had been affected, I think, so much. Um, it, it wasn't as apparent to him. Um, and we were kind of told by basically every doctor we'd seen that these were PTSD, trauma-related 
you know, symptoms and that, um, you know, there was medication for it, therapy for it, and so on and so forth. As time went on, I became less convinced of that um, because truly everything you read about PTSD is, is with time, with therapy, with medication, a lot of the symptoms will actually regress. Um, there'll be some improvement, right? And we weren't seeing improvement. Um, we were seeing symptoms that had stayed static for a long time. And even in some cases, things that had gotten worse. And so I just was never actually very comfortable saying this is all PTSD. And I was convinced from the start that traumatic brain injury was playing a significant role in this. Um, we never really got any traction internally with the VA with, with, you know, looking into that further. There was a time very early on where they had said we should do an MRI and then they did a facial x-ray and he had so much shrapnel, like little tiny pieces of shrapnel in his face, just micro pieces of metal, that they weren't actually comfortable then proceeding to do an MRI at that time. So 11 years later, um, we were fortunate enough to get involved with um, UCLA Operation Mend, actually, at the recommendation of um, Ariane and Shark. And um, we, because of that experience, we're able to then um, get a, a fuller, an, like an eight-day assessment done. Um, and I remember the uh, neurologist saying to us, you know, we're going to do this MRI. Just, you know, don't expect much. Usually, 11 years later, we're not going to see a whole lot. You know, undoubtedly, you had probably some sort of a TBI from these blast injuries, but we to see evidence of it on an MRI at this point is probably, we're not going to see a whole lot. So just prepare yourselves for that. And so he did the MRI um, and the next day we went in for the results and she she was she said, wow, um, we we see 12 lesions on your brain. Um, and, and one of them's as large as a dime. <laughs> We're quite frankly amazed that you um, didn't experience in the field significant um, results of this, of this head trauma and this, you know, that they didn't realize there was something seriously amiss at the time. She said, do you remember having a headache or anything after this blast? And um, my husband said, yeah, while I was in the hospital recovering from being shot, I had an ongoing headache for well over a month. And um, there was times when um, he had to have his, supposed to have his helmet on because there was incoming fire. He was in Kirkuk for a week before he was transported out of Kirkuk. Um, and they would put his helmet on when there was there was incoming uh, missile fire. And he said he, he remembers that his helmet didn't fit correctly. It was too tight. Um, and and she said, you know, there was obviously bleeding on your brain that caused these um, scars, these lesions that are, you know, then, um, you know, have resulted in uh, these these issues that you're seeing. And, and at the time, this was more of a moderate TBI. This was not a mild TBI. And all of these executive functioning uh, deficits and impairments and challenges that you have been facing, you know, there's an actual physical reason this has happened to you. This is not just solely trauma related, though those symptoms are, are comorbid. So I think, um, you know, that, that of course, helped us to initiate um, with people that had been in that same incident, 
them looking into their own care and, and seeking um, care for, for their head injuries and so on. So I think it is, it is something that is tough uh, to distinguish between PTSD and TBI. And the go-to is ob obviously, you know, um, something that can be resolved like PTSD where you can see improvement. People want to believe that that's, that's the sole thing, but I think there's, it, it is very much complicated when you're dealing with TBI. There's, you know, there's significant overlap between the injuries for sure. And a lot of times they present a comorbid where you have one, you have the other, but you know, you hit upon something, something earlier where you have a, you know, maybe a more primary life-threatening injury that draws your attention. And there's a secondary injury behind it that could manifest and even be worse over time. You know, maybe it's, it is evident at the time, maybe it's not, but you're more focused on, on the primary, you know, immediate injury, you know, with that. And when you have that, as you, as you pointed out, things, things get missed, you know, cracks occur, you know, folks maybe focus on here, but, but the amount of that looks like self-education that you have and research that you have put into this is, is, is staggering. You know, and I remember Operation Men back in the great, great group folks for you listening. They do do a good job out of uh, Los Angeles down there. You know, but one thing that uh, that kind of comes to me, you know, looking at some of the, the notes I've taken, you know, the time that you put into this, you know, with the not only with your, your your professional career. I mean, you can't necessarily put that on hold, you know, and that's mm -hmm. some people think a lot of times when you when you have these problems that you can just, you know, leave them in a suitcase at the door. You know, go in and do what you do and then pick them up coming right back out. And it doesn't it doesn't work that way, you know, particularly when you have the travel, you know, the amount of research and self-education, obviously your your career and then, and then the family. You know, we we talked about that, I think, in your in your opening statement. You wanted to discuss it. And I I think a dove, this would be a nice dovetail off off your comments. But, you know, you are the primary caregiver, but but doing everything that you just mentioned, you know, the the challenge and not to mention the trials and tribulations that go with that, the, the travel, the research, et cetera. And I'm not mistaken, your daughters, they, they're in high school, almost at the end of high school now. Is that correct? Right. A junior and a sophomore. Junior, sophomore. Wow. Yeah, the, only, <laughs> the only version of dad they've ever known is is post-injury. So um, I do think, you know, in some respects that it's easier for my kids. I've, I've talked to other caregivers uh, who have a child who has known their parent pre and post-injury. Um, and the changes are hard enough to adapt to. For the caregiver, the the primary adult, whoever is caring for them, I think for children it's actually even more disorienting when their when their parent suddenly changes significantly, either in ability or perhaps uh, how they're emoting or or whatever. Um, my kids uh, did not have to deal with that. They they've only known dad post injury, so it's just part of who he is. Um, but I do see them taking on, you know pseudo caregiver roles sort of, you know, they, they do things um, that other kids don't have to do uh, who have a parent who doesn't have any um, needs. You know, my, my husband has light sensitivity. He gets migraines. Um, he's hard of hearing. These are all, these are all things they've just grown up with uh, that are part of their dad that they just know, you know, um, he might he might have a migraine and he can't attend one of their sporting events because he that's just happening to him and they they understand that and that's just part of the experience. But I do I do think depending upon if a child has uh, known the parent before the injury or not that is that can have a, a more significant effect on their psyche if they if they're having to adapt to 
changes, significant changes? Um, so correlating with a, a, another person that we've interviewed, um, she as well became the primary caregiver for her husband. Uh, so two questions, and you kind of mentioned it already. One would be, um, how how do you, with all of the stuff you have going on, how do you maintain care for yourself? Mm-hmm. Because the, you, you can't be a good caregiver if you're not taking care of yourself. And the second one would be, uh, and it's been mentioned, and we actually had a seg- uh, an entire segment on it, um, anger level. Uh, and how how did how are how are you and and kids able to handle if it happened at all? Uh, yeah, increased level level of anger. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that was very helpful to me, and I thankfully sought help early on, was getting counseling for myself and codependency. Um. I know that's kind of an interesting concept, but um. Usually when you think of codependency, it's someone who's either in an abusive relationship or maybe in a relationship with someone who is using drugs or alcohol. But interestingly, there's a lot that happens to you as a caregiver that creates this odd codependent relationship where um, your moods, you may be the person you're caring for, their mood swings become your mood swings. Um, and every everyone's day is based upon how they're feeling. And that's very, very unhealthy for the family dynamic and for the caregiver personally. And so I actually, um, early on, this was probably, I think this was 2008, when I um, spent about a year getting codependency therapy, um, sought professional help, and it, it really helped me enormously to cope as a caregiver and not fall into that where everything in the family was was dependent upon how the person we were caring for was feeling that day. Um, and I, I see a lot of instances in caregiving, especially with newer caregivers, where that's the case, where basically their their entire life revolves around caring for the person who has the highest needs. And certainly that's an important part of what you do, but then how you carve out time for yourself or how, how the entire family dynamic um, still remains healthy is kind of by choice. Um, and you have to make an intentional um, decision to um, be as normal as possible. And what I mean by that is um, I, there used to be things like we would avoid certain things like going to the store or we won't go visit the zoo because that's not an environment dad would be comfortable in. It's like, no, we're going to go visit the zoo. Dad's just not going to come with us. Um, we're not expect, you know, those are those are things that might have to change, um, but we we aren't going to avoid all life activities just because the the care recipient isn't comfortable in that environment or maybe it's not safe for him or whatever. Um, so that that was an important part of my journey as a caregiver was realizing kind of that. Um, life has to go on in a different way, but there's a more healthy way of doing it. And, and it's very easy to get unhealthy and fall into that um, place where you're very focused on their emotions. And so to speak to the second part of your question about the anger, um, mood dysregulation is a huge part of most people's TBI and, and my husband was no different. And so um, that also involves 
a number of things for us um, as far as understanding boundaries, um, being able to, we've gotten to a place now where, where if there, if that is occurring, I can point it out to him in a way that isn't confrontational um, and is kind of a healthy, like, okay, we just need to take a break here. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to discuss this now uh, or whatever those the, needs to happen there. But I think as you're working through um, becoming a caregiver most immediately, that that is part of what is so difficult is perhaps there are these mood swings that involve anger, anxiety, depression, whatever, whatever the symptoms are. And um, the care recipient may not even realize what they're, what they're doing or kind of um, the ups and downs that they're bringing the whole family on. And so um, that, that is something that you have to, adapt to and um, separate somewhat from the person themselves. Like this is part of the injury. This is not, you know, because they're actually angry. It's just frustration or perhaps the routine has changed and, and there's a lack of that ability to adapt or be flexible. Um, some, and I, I think often when you look at the source of the anger, um, the function of the behavior, we call it in education, um, you're looking to see, uh, I, I started to think, okay, what, why is he angry? Why is he anxious? Um, and when you start to look at the root of it, oftentimes it has to do with something like a change in routine or um, something where it speaks right to um, a skill that has kind of been lost as a result of the TBI. And so rebuilding the, those I guess neural pathways is really what it is to try and be um, learn to be more flexible or realize I'm about to head into a, a situation that is going to cause me anxiety and I'm doing this intentionally and with forethought. And so we've, we've just developed a lot of those over the years um, skills. One of the, one of the things that causes anxiety is uh, for my husband is traveling and traveling is very, uh, they're unpredictable. So because of all the unpredictable factors in traveling, that's stressful for him. And so that's a point in time where his, his threshold for, um, of tolerance is very low. And we know that going into a trip. And so we will talk about it, prep for it, try and minimize some of the things that would cause stress. And, um, when we're, in the trip, it's it's kind of like, you know, I know this is causing you stress or I know you're feeling anxious, kind of recognizing those feelings and addressing it as we go. You, know, you mentioned you mentioned travel. I point of clarification for those of you that, that are listening. You know, this is Montana. You know, this isn't this isn't five minutes to the store or, or to the primary care facility. This is sometimes three or four hours. So so travel is not necessarily when you you pick up and you and you leave the state, you go vacation. Travel sometimes is right. just get to work, you know, depending on, because Montana, you get a lot of windshield time from point A to point B. Yeah, our, our closest CBOC is 45 minutes away from the house. Um, our closest hospital is an hour and a half away from the house. Um, and there was a point in time where we were living eight hours away from the, the closest mm -hmm. hospital. And um, part of the reason we actually moved to a different part of the state was to reduce our travel time. 
So yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, it's definitely an impediment challenge. But but you know, it actually it, it's kind of points to something else right here. I mean, you've taken sort of the long view here. There are a lot of battles, you know, that constitute a war. And you know, with those battles, you have to make sure that the men, weapons, and equipment stay stay proficient, stay they polish, they ready to go, and then perfect the skill level one, two, and three tasks because you never know when you'll need them. But with this skill set that you that you've developed, you know, and and just listening to the sort of challenges that you've overcome, you know, how how are you able to maybe push that to 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 help others? And what I get by that is looking at the bio that you were an alumni of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation in in two thousand eighteen. Maybe explain a little bit about kind of who they are and what they do, and then. And then how you, you know, you assist others through through them. Sure. So the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is a foundation that is dedicated to connecting and advocating for military and veteran caregivers. Uh, so that could be, you know, a caregiver of, of any era veteran um, and any any sort of needs. But uh, a lot of the caregivers I've encountered in that environment um, are the caregivers of combat wounded vets. A lot of them do have what we would call invisible injuries, so PTSD and or TBI. Um, and the uh, years kind of of experience range from 40 plus years as a caregiver on up to I'm a new caregiver and I'm just experiencing this for the, you know, for the first time. Um, I think one of the tools that uh, Elizabeth Dole Foundation has created, which I think is very very helpful is the military and veteran um, caregiver experience map. And that was actually the class of 2018 and class of 2019 Dole Caregiver Fellows that were kind of in the working groups that created this document. Um, it is online and I can send you the link, but I think it's a it's a very useful document for caregivers. It identifies the main stages of caregiving, which are um, becoming aware and adjusting. Um, and there's kind of some subsets there of react and adjust. Um, I'm taking a peek at it now to refresh my memory here, uh, shifting priorities and seeking help, which is discovering, you know, what your, your care recipient needs and preparing to provide that. And then finding a rhythm. And that's kind of the, the last part, which is rebalancing and thriving. And it, it's in a continuum, it's in a circle. So you might, uh, fall back or forwards on this on any given time. I mean, it's kind of a daily, weekly, monthly annual process here of um, adapting to your care recipient's needs. I mean, certainly one of the things that I'm concerned about as a caregiver is the aging process. And, you know, what sort of implications does TBI have for my my husband as he ages? The, the Your neuroplasticity declines as you age. And when you already have damage to that, um, you know, what's that going to look for for the future? So, I think as a caregiver, we're always trying to um, adapt to the to the needs of our care recipient, but there's so much commonality, and that's what that map, that experience map from the Elizabeth Dole Foundation kind of highlights, and it's a very useful tool for people that are just experiencing it for the first time. No, it's a it's a great organization. I mean, you've definitely you traveled the road of uncertainty, that's for sure. And sometimes you got to step up and ask the hard questions to get the results and the answers. You know, there's no doubt about it. And I think that you've you've done that. Quite the incredible story and quite the incredible journey. We're hitting uh got the, the notice here from Ron up top in the box that we're coming coming to close to the end of our time. I could go on and on all day on this. I mean, this is this has been a this has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And 
in hearing, you know, the investments and, and just the challenges in the past that you've created and the boundaries and barriers, doors that you've opened, barriers you've knocked down, doors you've opened, et cetera, you know, to get people, in particularly your husband and then others, you know, care, care that they need and the uh, the attention that they deserve, you know, for serving, for serving our great nation. Kevin, do you have uh, any, any last thoughts right here before we, we sign off? Yeah, my, my, if, if maybe a, a short answer to this one, uh, non-politically correct answer to this one would be uh, Elizabeth Dole Foundation seems like a civilian type of thing. The military is very good at mandatory training. I mean, every time Char and I had to sit through a mandatory training, you think back to who screwed up and what did they do last <laughs> weekend. I mean, yeah. so the military, military can adjust very quickly to our own screw-ups and come out with some mandatory fun training. But I would think that there should be something, whether DOD-wise or VA-wise, kind of like a caregiver boot camp or a caregiver basic training, knowing that we have these things happening and there's going to be a caregiver for this veteran or for even a current service member. Is there anything out there? Have you found anything or is there something? So the, the VA does have this. There's a there's a caregiver coordinator that most VAs have, uh, but it's kind of piecemeal. Um, and it's certainly a la carte. What, what they offer is kind of like, here are these courses you can take if you want. In fact, I met Char's wife at a, a caregiver training that was offered by the VA, but it was done by Easter Seals. Um, and it was more kind of generic about caregiving. Um, I think it's it's really only as much as the caregiver initiates, you know, taking part of those activities. And then they aren't specific necessarily to the veteran or military experience. They're, the VA is kind of connecting you with outside resources um, that are more specific. I, I felt to kind of like the aging um, adult population more than necessarily uh, what you experience as a military or veteran caregiver. So when I did get connected with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, I felt like that was a better um, pairing for me as far as people that were dealing with the same thing, understanding the same needs those kind of things. But I don't think there's really a robust um, process in the VA itself that um, is being maybe advertised in the correct way or involving people to the fullest extent. That's an interesting takeaway for sure. You know, you you, you mentioned it and be brief here, but I mean, you, you get for time from Target. I mean, I think you mentioned Kelly was wounded in, in 2005 and it was 2023. And I've been out of the military since 2008, just 15 years right there. I think it's 15. That math is correct on that one. No, yeah, it's 15. But you get you get away, you know, from what you used to know, what you were what you were accustomed to. And then, you know, I haven't been in, in my case anyway, I haven't been sort of G'd up on the current military process and stuff because because I'm out. You know, so sometimes you you have to rely on these, I don't say third parties, but something like the VA connecting to, you know, to what's to what's in the system. I remember the army used to have AW2. I don't know if that's even still still around anymore you got any idea on that one kevin if aw2 still there i have no idea yeah so this is probably some some homework that we need to do listeners for sure char and kevin need to need to bust out the books and, and do a little research on our own to figure out what's going on and what's not i mean we're still drinking diet right and shafta cola here you know and that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's gone on for, for years past hey hannah hey thank you for being part of this um really enjoyed the the conversation i think kevin kevin in fact i know kevin did did as well 
as I said, it's an interesting journey that you've done um, and a lot of doors that you opened. And, and hopefully folks out there that are listening will get those links posted for, for EDF and then some some other ones that we'll dig up concerning caregiver resources and access to such. But uh, but Hannah, thank you once again for, as I said, for being here and, uh, you know, give Kelly my best. Tell him, right. tell him I said hello and kind of wish he was here with us, actually. We could we could mess with yeah. him too a little bit and have, and have fun. But uh, thank you again. And, uh, you know, with that, folks, we're going to be signing off. But thanks once again for everyone uh, tuning in to, what did I say earlier, our 10th episode of the Abstract Veteran Series Season 2. And I think we may have one or two more this year. We're still working on that. So best to everyone. And as I said, if you if you need help, folks, and you don't you don't know where to go, I mean, we have links. You can contact you know, Limbic Sensei directly. Cannot help you per se. We'll definitely point you in the right direction. You know, TBI, TBI is something that the community, you know, has to address as a whole. It's not uh, it's not an individual thing and, and nobody should be left to walk alone. So with that, thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you next time here on the Veterans Abstract, Abstract Veterans Series. Excuse me. Until then, be safe and take care. Thank you to Hannah Neeskins for joining Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger today on the Abstract Veterans Podcast. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Veterans, produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Veterans, The Abstract Doctors, and The Abstract Athlete. See you soon for our next episode.